What's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Health Mastery Show. Today, episode number 30, we have on Dr. Peter Fishin. Peter is a pro natural bodybuilder. He just literally finished up his competitive season last week, I believe, at the time of recording. He has a PhD in nutritional sciences from the University of Illinois. He has a Master of Science in Biology from the University of Wisconsin. And he has a Bachelor of Biochemistry from the University of Wisconsin also. So in today's episode, we talk all about setting up a contest prep and Peter's approach that he uses with his clients as a full-time coach for getting them ready for show and he brings in some amazing results. Before we get into the conversation between myself and Peter, I want to talk about a sponsor for this specific podcast and that is Endeavor Nutrition. You can find them at endeavornutrition.co.uk. I'll put the link in the show notes. But I've been using some of their supplements for the last few weeks and these are an evidence-based company. I really don't like to shout out or promote supplements too often because they're full of proprietary blends or sell stuff that's not well researched. But two of the specific supplements that I really like that I'm using at the moment are Locked On, which is their Cognitive Enhancer. It's a L-tyrosine, alpha-GPC, which is a choline, um, a type of choline, L-theanine and caffeine, so cognitive enhancer that I use in the morning when I'm doing some work or trying to focus, and also their hibernate deep sleep product, which is a, it's a non-proprietary supplement containing 5-hydroxytryptophan, chamomile extract, valerian extract, magnesium citrate, and lemon balm. They've also got a few other supplements as well that I've been using, all researched, all evidence-based dosages, non-proprietary blends. And the guys over at EndeavorNutrition.co.uk have given me a discount code for people listening to this podcast. So if you go over to their website, you'll find the link in the show notes. You can use the discount code PODCAST10 to try out some of their supplements. And again, I wouldn't be recommending them if I didn't personally use them or find that they were something that I think people here would like or would get use from. So without further ado, let's get into this podcast with Peter. But final note before we get in, again, second final note, is if you're listening and you do enjoy it, please take a screenshot of this, post it on your Instagram stories, tag myself, let me know what feedback you have if you enjoy it so that you can help share the podcast. But let's get into this podcast with Peter Fishing. So Peter, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, yeah, I, we, we just spoke a little bit off air there and you mentioned that you it's literally been a week since you finished your competitive season. That's crazy. With most shows being cancelled, um, you're lucky that you even got to got to compete, right? Yeah, I mean, here in the U.S., though, things have really, really kicked up from probably late June on, and and there there have actually been quite a few shows. I mean, just here in the Midwest alone, I mean, there's been shows in Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Iowa, multiple shows in Missouri, Oklahoma, like there, there are shows, I mean, Indiana last weekend, I had a client compete. So there, Minnesota, I did a show in. Um, so there, there are a lot of shows that are really starting to pop back up here, at least in parts of the country, like the Midwest that aren't more, are more rural and aren't quite as affected. Mm, yes. So how long were you actually competing for? You said that your, your season got extended out quite a bit. And, and yeah. I, I seen that on Facebook that your I think you had a couple months gap between when you're supposed to compete initially and then, and then your actual last show, right? Yeah, so I started pulling back in May of 2019 uh, because the goal was to get me, so May of 2019 through like end of summer, early fall, like position me for a prep, you know, get me closer. Uh, and then that would allow me to diet break over the fall when I had clients competing. So I, I diet, took a diet break for like six, eight weeks in you know, September through November, because I was gone having clients competing like every single weekend. So it was nice. I was able to just maintain through that. Um, and then I was able to drop back into a deficit and we we're targeting March, early April shows. And I did a week diet break. I think I did two one week diet breaks and, you know, during that last push. Um, and then, uh, I was targeting, you know, mid March and, uh, six days out from my first show is when the, the entire country pretty much shut down. Um, and so, you know, my April shows and my photo shoot and everything got canceled pretty shortly thereafter. And so that led to, um, you know, me basically extending prep indefinitely until the shows started again. And then once late June hit, um, and shows were starting, I, I traveled, I traveled out of state for three shows and a photo shoot here within, you know, basically from June 27th through July 25th, just to get done as soon as possible. 
Um, so I did a, did a natural pro show in Minnesota, June 27th. I did an untested NPC show where I depleted down and made uh, the 154-pound lightweight class uh, on July 11th. I had a photo shoot in Indiana July 15th, and then I flew to Vegas uh, and finished up my contest season out there uh, July 25th at a smaller AAU show out there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I still got three shows in a photo shoot like I was planning, but it ended – it was like three and a half – months you know three four months later than than originally planned yeah you sound like you've got a lot of energy for somebody who's just competed or finished competing uh yeah i mean you know my food isn't super low i mean it got low so i low is relative right yeah, so like yeah. my off season peaked at like 4200 calories a day and and you know when i was younger like i'm in my mid-30s now like 4200 is my off season um, peak, you know, but when I was younger, it used to be like 52, 54, 5,600 wow. a day, you know, when I was in my late teens, um, into early twenties. Um, but you know, I got as low as 2000 calories a day, which is less than half of my off season intake. Um, so, you know, just putting that into perspective, like it, it's, it's yeah. relatively low, you know, it's 2200 calories lower than my peak off season intake. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, fortunately I, after my second show, we started reversing me in. So I was up to about 23, 2350 going into my last show. Um, and then, you know, took a pretty significant bump, uh, up to almost 3000 a day. Initially, I'm still, still wasn't gaining there. So food's even higher now. Um, actually Cliff waiting for Cliff to get back to me today to tell me how much higher. Um, but but it, it's going to go up significantly again because I actually lost a pound this last week. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll be up over 3,000, well over 3,000, I'm sure, starting today and, and heading back upwards. I know looking back at my last reverse, I think I had to get up to about 35, 3,600, and then, then weight started coming back on pretty steadily until I got up into like the low 180s. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming, I'm, I have a really adaptive metabolism, so I'm really good at maintaining. I have to go high to gain and I have to go low to lose. Yeah. Um, there, there, that, get, that range that I maintain in is pretty, pretty wide, um, which is yeah. something that actually helped me during the, the extending my contest season out. Uh, because I was able to get my food up to like 31, 3,200 calories a day and hold like five pounds over stage weight. Um, because I, it, I, I, my body just maintained so well, yeah. um, you know, then I, you know, I still had to go down to like 2000 to lose it back off. But, um, but it, yeah, it, it, I, that was one thing that helped a lot during, during that period. Yeah. I was going to ask you how you, how you found that period. Cause for me last year, my competitive season, it, it didn't, I didn't have to push it out for any, you know, bizarre circumstances, but I just extended it because I got qualifications for different shows. And oh yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I looked a lot, I mean, relative again, but I looked a lot worse in the final show. And maybe it was a touch leaner, but I also, I could tell from like photos that my shoulders and my arms were just, I was just hemorrhaging muscle um, from holding yeah. that. And I don't have an adaptive metabolism. I mean, obviously it adapts, but uh, I mean, yeah. if I was eating, you know, I'm 210 pounds now. And I mean, I'm not eating much more than 3000 calories. Like, uh, yeah. so, and I don't diet on much lower than 2000. I mean, I did a little bit, but I mean, not a, not a whole lot lower, maybe like 1800, 1700, but yeah, your, yeah. yours fits the mold of what you predict a lot more than mine. Mine is yeah. a lot wider difference, yeah. Yeah. which people think is great yeah. often, but I mean, eating 50, 5,400 calories probably isn't great, you know? Um, no, it wasn't a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, in, you know, I, I can do four pretty comfortably. I mean, once my weight gets up and hunger starts getting lower and I get up to like 190, it gets a little harder, but, um, but you know the, the five thousand plus was definitely work when I was younger. Um, but I had to. I mean, I I, I am I always had a hard time putting on muscle, and yeah. and I, that that's kind of what needed to happen. But yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, when you extend like that. So I I have I've had going back like I've had clients um, several times over the years. You know where they do like a show in the spring and it qualifies them for something in the fall. And you know in an ideal world you would do your shows in the spring and then you wouldn't you know, diet yeah. for a show for at least a year if you're trying to look the same or like longer if you're, you know, trying to be better yeah. um, because it takes, you know, six months, give or take for everything normalized post show. And, and so if you're competing in like April and May and you have to do something again in October or November, obviously you're going to be 
starting to diet again from a point where you're less than optimal. And, and this, I fell into the same situation. And so what you oftentimes find in that situation is, uh, you know, the second put, the second push is a lot of times harder than the first because you're, you know, when you start prep hormones, metabolic rate are up here, you diet down. And, you know, if you only have two or three months to be out of a deficit, you know, you can get it maybe back up to here. And then, you know, you got to two, three months to diet back down. And so it's a, it's a balancing game, right? So you, you need to gain enough, you know, you don't want to hold stage lean for like five, six months, but you can only gain so much weight back because the more weight you gain back, the sooner you have to start dieting. And so it's, it's kind of like this give and take and this balance game. And so, yeah, a lot of times we'll put caps of like five pounds or seven pounds or something like that is all the higher we can allow weight to drift from stage in that situation. Um, but that allows the person to get a little bit more food, you know, trying to find that balance point where it's the best of both worlds, because if they were to go up 10, 12, 15 pounds, we'd have to diet sooner and they'd have mm -hmm. hardly any time out of a deficit. Um, and, and that's not going to be the most optimal look on stage. And if you're on the other extreme where you gain no weight back during that time, you're holding stage lean indefinitely. Like that's not going to be the best look either when it comes. And so it's finding that middle ground. And um, I, I feel like I, I was able to do that. I mean, I, when I was five to seven pounds up from state, you know, we, we set a cap at about 163. Um, and my, my, you know, and my, I was walking around probably 155, 156 at my leanest just on regular days. But I mean, carved up like show day mornings, I was like 158, 159. Um, so I, I was walking, you know, so I was within about five-ish of carved up stage weight. Um, and I was actually gaining strength back. Like some of my strength was coming back. It was crazy um, because it was like eight, nine weeks, you know, where my food was high and I was sitting a little bit above stage weight. Um, and uh, it yeah, it was pretty crazy. And I, I, I felt like I held size well. It's not the most optimal approach. Mm -hmm. and, and But I mean, if you compare my pictures from on stage back to like my pictures in March, I didn't really lose any significant amount of size. And my stage weight was around what it was going to be back then. And um, yeah, I, I don't think I, I lost a whole lot. Um, again, I, I don't know that this is what I'd recommend people do. But I, I think, you know, it's kind of a side note, but anytime that I have some, a client or, or myself in this situation, but a client who has that spring fall and they have, you know, where they have to extend uh, for those, you know, extend their season or, or, you know, have a limit to how high we can get food and then we have to diet right away. You know, the conversation I have with them ahead of time, you know, usually is, hey, if we're going to do this, you are not competing for a long time. Like you need a long off season. So like if someone say in 2020, I mean, this didn't happen because there there isn't you know, it hasn't been spring shows in 2020, but if someone, you know, competed spring 2020, qualified for something in fall 2020, um, the conversation I would have with them then is, hey, we can do this, but you're taking all of 2021 off. Like you're, you're not competing in 2021. Like the earliest you would compete in is 2022. And I probably would go longer than that because of the amount of time you're spending near stage weight and in a deficit and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, for me, it was like, um, I didn't have that opportunity to bring my calories up because it was like a show in July. Uh, I, I compete with the WMBF. So show in July in, uh, it's called the Muscle Mayhem. And then, uh -huh. but because I live in Ireland, there's like politics kind of that you have to compete in yeah. that show. So I had to compete in the show in September. So I had like seven, six weeks. And then I had like... Were you able to reverse in at least where you're not pushing for loss and, and you were uh, able to come up to maintenance? I suppose for like a week or two, but because I was in like the US, like West Coast US is pretty far from me. I mean, it's like nine hours flight, yeah. more maybe. Um, so it, was, it took like a bit of a holiday. So like, I mean, I didn't, okay. yeah, so I didn't really like reverse, but I kind of just enjoyed myself a little bit more. Um, yeah. I didn't go crazy, but I didn't gain a ton of weight, but uh, I was definitely on maintenance and gained a little bit of water weight and stuff. But then kind of when we, when I got home, which maybe about two weeks later, I was probably about four weeks out or so. And I still wanted to tighten up, tighten up a little bit from that previous yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And then after yeah. that, after that show, uh, I think I had maybe a seven-week period. And I did try to reverse up a little bit. But then I think just the, 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 the length of the season from July to November, I was just losing a bit of motivation yeah. and stuff. And I started, uh, yeah. I started a master's at that time as well in nutrition. Oh. And then, and like, uh, like I, I coach people as well, but I also work a job as well. So um, I just, the stress was just like really up here. And at that point I was just like, uh, and I was doing a ton of uh, activity because my metabolism is, you know, 
it's it's not that adaptive but i need to do quite a bit of activity to get my weight down unless i want to drop calories really low so i was doing like 20k steps which for oh, me man. yeah that that's like two hours literally two hours walking yeah. because because yeah. I, I i where i work is the website where i live so i don't work i don't walk very far to work so yeah. um or sometimes i work at home so like i literally have to walk two hours a day plus get my training in, and then plus study and because i originally had studied like uh, business so this is years ago but had been in college for a few years i was learning like doing a ton of chemistry background research uh, studying and learning and um you know physiology so i was doing a lot of study and i was just at that point i was like um i don't want to be eating 1600 calories anymore so i think it probably spilled over into my training intensity as well a bit i'd say and just that probably didn't lead to the best physique on stage um because when i actually finished competing i was like thank god i'm done like i, I, <laughs> I didn't really enjoy the the final the final show that much it was it wasn't the best um organized as well either it was like about 500 competitors i swear to god i was on stage at like 6 p.m and then i think i was on stage at 2 a.m as well um oh, yeah. yeah that's that's so, not good but but yeah, i know <laughs> sorry what were we gonna say oh i was gonna say i i you know i can relate to that because you know my 2012 prep of the six times i've dieted down to stage lean since 2004 my 2012 one was the hardest and that was during what in hindsight was like the worst part of my PhD. Like I, I had the most going on in the lab. I was getting ready for my quals. I was finishing my last semester of classes. I was kind of starting to coach more people. Um, and then I was dieting for shows on top of all that. And um, one thing I found, and you may have found this as well, um, is typically the more stressed someone is, the harder they have to push to get stage lean. Like um, my you know, I like my 2016 prep, I didn't have to push nearly as hard. As, I shouldn't say nearly as hard. I didn't have to push as hard as 2012. Um, and I got leaner in 2016. And, and I think a lot, large part of that is stress. Like my 2012 prep was one of my toughest. Um, I really did a lot of cardio that prep. My food got down and um, I, you know, it, I, I really, and I've seen this with clients also, you know, if someone is, has a lot going on in life and is super stressed, they can still get stage lean, but it oftentimes takes a lot more pushing um, and depending on how hard you're pushing, you know, maybe at some point that starts to affect the look on stage because you're not providing enough calories or enough fuel for workout training recovery. Um, so I, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to, you know, trying to prep for a show during grad school. Um, mm. it's definitely, yeah, you know, no, it, it's really interesting, like how perhaps cortisol, et cetera, may affect like the, the, the percentage of muscle versus fat that you would lose and mm -hmm. beyond just the water weight, like, uh, the, the kind of the composition of that weight that you would lose is really interesting and it would be it'd be really hard to study but it'd be interesting to yeah. see in in, in uh, yeah. physique athletes not like uh not just general uh people or general uh, population but i suppose we kind of <laughs> took us a while to get into it but um <laughs> it would be good to talk about or what we want to talk about was how you would set up contest prep but before we kind of do that 20 minutes into this conversation if you got to, <laughs> if you got to introduce yourself like um your background um, who you are, I suppose we kind of, we kind of lost the, the run of it a little bit, but, uh, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I guess my background is on several fronts here. So I have been competing in natural bodybuilding since 2004. I've been training since about 2002. Um, so I got about 18 and a half years of lifting consistently. My first show was almost 16 and a half years ago. Now, uh, I've dieted to stage lean. Uh, I won my natural pro card in 2012, um, and I've dived down and competed in, in uh, you know, a handful of pro shows since. I've, I've placed at some. I, I won a smaller one. Um, and then on the academic side of things, uh, I have a bachelor's in biochem. I minored in nutrition. I have a master's in physiology and a PhD in nutrition. So I got that in 2015. So I went to school for 11 and a half years. Um, seemed like it would never end. Uh, but I've been done for five years now. And so I, I've been coaching full time since. Uh, the, you know, I, I started started my business 2012, um, coaching people, you know, kind of part time as I was going to grad school. And then, uh, you know, it became a full time thing by the time I was done. And I kind of ran with it starting in 2015. Um, and, you know, and since then, you know, I, I wrote a book that came out last year, co-authored with Cliff Wilson. Um that, that, you know, plug for my book, check it out. Um, and, uh, other than that, you know, that, I guess that's kind of the, the long and short summary of, of me. <laughs> yeah. I've been reading a couple of your papers that you've, 
he published, I think I talked to him, it was Bran, I think it was Bran Roberts that I spoke to about the, the off-season yeah. recommendations. You were a co-author on that paper, right? Um, yeah. I think that's the, yep. the most recent one. What, what kind of research, um, or, or you're, you're not a primary researcher at, right at the moment, but what, what kind of research were you doing back in the day, your PhD, was it related specifically to physique athletes or, or, or what was it related to? Yeah, I would say yes and no. Um, so there isn't. So I, I have published another number of papers over the years related to physique athletes. Um, we did a, a case study on my 2012 contest prep during grad school. So that that was published. That was, I think, the second one to come out. The first one, it, we were doing it at the same time as Chris Foss's case study, him and Lindy's case study. So we were communicating with them, but we were both doing similar case studies during our, our same preps because we were prepping at the same time. Um, but it was, you know, at different universities. So that's published. Um, I've published a couple different papers related to supplements and, and contest prep recommendations and off-season recommendations. Um, so I've co-authored a, a number of, of those papers. As far as what my primary was, it is really hard to get funding to study what makes someone huge. Um, but there is a lot of money. Yeah, so like nobody cares about like, hey, what can I do to get as huge as possible? But there is money in the prevention of muscle loss. You know, so typically if you're interested in like muscle growth, you know, things like that, and you need funding to do studies, you, you know, the side of that, that, that has funding is like prevention of muscle loss in, in populations that are susceptible to it. And so, um, during my PhD, I was working in a lab that, that works with diet and exercise interventions in dialysis patients and, and kidney disease patients. Um, and so we had a huge multi-site clinical trial where we were doing exercise and protein supplementation studies, like while patients were doing dialysis, like they would exercise and, and we'd give them protein shakes and things, um, because dialysis is actually incredibly catabolic. Um, and so, um, it makes sense to give protein during, you lose a bunch of amino acids in the dialysis. Mm -hmm. It makes it sense to, um, you know, provide protein at that point. So, you know, we have some studies related to that. We did some antioxidant studies because their oxidative stress is through the roof. Um, you know, so we did we, we did some stuff with blood flow restriction training. Um, and so we, we did, you know, a number of different things. My dissertation study was on HMB supplementation in dialysis patients. Um, and so looking at, like, prevention of muscle loss because the HMB literature is, for athletes, it's meh, but for elderly clinical population, those who are susceptible to muscle loss, um, typically it's those who have an increased protein need that aren't getting that increased protein. Um, you see uh, HMB, at least in the published literature, tends to have an effect. And so nobody had actually looked at it in dialysis patients. And so I got a grant to do that. Um, and we did a six-month double-blind placebo-controlled trial. It was multi-site um, at two universities, I think three dialysis clinics. Uh, there's a heck of a lot of paperwork to get that that all approved, um, and uh, we we found really nothing. Like it, it didn't. We we had no difference between groups in in any measure of like body composition, physical function, quality of life, um, really anything. Um, do you know, do they, you find when you because uh, I spoke to somebody a while ago who had done a PhD or dropped out of a PhD in uh, genomics. Or genomic okay. sequencing, and yep. they, I was saying, like, do you, do you find it disheartening when you spend a lot of time in, a, in trying to, you know, you have a, this hypothesis and you're trying to understand something, and then you just get, uh, you know, no result, not no result, but you get there's no difference, or or do you do you come with the conclusion, well, at least we know we can rule this out from the future that this doesn't, yeah, do yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, I would say, you know, that's the biggest thing is we we can at least rule this out for. You know, like, hey, this this didn't seem to do anything. You know, like it didn't seem to work. You know, so maybe it's not something to consider in the future. You know, and and I think, you know, at the time I finished up the study, I mean, it got published in a, I think, a journal with a decent impact, like Impact three or four. Like, it isn't a bottom feeder journal, and it's not Nature or Science, but like it was published in an okay journal, um, even with negative results. Um, but I think you know the biggest thing for me at that point was. I was when I when I finished up and I was writing my dissertation, I was trying to basic my business had basically grown to the point it was a full time business. I wasn't going to decrease my client load because I wanted to do it full time when mm. I finished. And I, I, you know, and so I was trying to write my dissertation. And so I, I was just trying to get done. Like I was just happy I had the data analyzed and I was one step closer to being done. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, I guess I, you know what I mean. Like, so I was a little skewed at that point. Yeah, where it was yeah. like, I got data, I got results, 
I trust the way the data is analyzed. I trust the way that we measured everything. Everything was blinded. You know, I, yeah. I had no group, no, I, no idea. I was, there was only one, one person in our lab who what group everyone was in and she took care of pill distribution. Um, we did blood work to confirm who was and wasn't taking the supplements. Um, so like, you know what I mean? Like you, we were able to measure HIV in the bloodstream. Um, you know, like I, I didn't know who was in what group until the entire data set was like every, I had everything analyzed. The data set was there. And then I was finally unblinded. It could actually run the statistics. Um, and so yeah, I, I was, you know what I mean? I was confident I did everything I could to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it is what it is at that point. Like you, yeah. you can't, no, no, you know I, what I understand. Mean? I understand. So, so tell me, Peter, then with the, when we're going into this contest prep, um, to kind of com- completely segue, um, <laughs> how, how do you, what are the first things that you consider when, let's say somebody comes to you, is there an ideal time that someone would come to you? Um, I'm sure you get a lot of clients that will, or potential clients that will come to you, uh, you know, I've got a show in 20 weeks or I've got a, I want to compete this year in uh, November or something. What What's the ideal scenario for you when, somebody comes to you i've got my own opinion but it would be great to hear kind of what your uh, opinion is in terms of setting someone up for a competition prep before they begin yeah i think my idea would be being able to work with them for the at least the later portion of their off season um you know if, if we're talking like absolute ideal if i could work with them for part of their off season to make sure we get their food high kind of position them okay you're you're this far over stage weight you know, maybe, okay, you're, you're a male competitor. We got you about 30, 35 over stage weight. Your food's super high. We've, we've had a really good gaining phase here. You're seeing visual progress. All right. So now we're 30, 35 over stage weight. We're about a year out, you know, or 10 months out or something like that. Let's start pulling back and kind of position you for prep. Um, you know, so maybe we diet them down, you know, with that initial cut, maybe we diet them down to 20, 25 over, you know, something that's still sustainable for them, you know, cause I guess let me back, if I back up, you know, we all kind of have ranges of body weight in the off season that we can fall into. Um, you know, for me, it, like that 180 to 195 is kind of my functional range. You know, the low end of that, when I start getting below 180, I can't get, you know, I start getting to the upper 170s, mid 170s, you know, that's where I start seeing a little bit of strength loss. You know, I, I have to start pushing a little harder to see loss. It takes next to no effort to diet down to that point, but I got to push harder beyond that. And I start seeing it. You know, it's not an ideal place to sit long term. Um, and then on the high end, when I start getting above 195, I start seeing diminished returns in terms of like, hey, my weight's going up, but my strength isn't anymore. I'm not looking quite as tight. Uh, I really have to force a lot of food down to get above that point. And so that's kind of my functional range. So like in my case, if I was 195 at like a year, 10 months, year out, uh, diet me down somewhere around 180, you know, low end of my functional range, take a diet break there for a month or two, whatever, you know, whatever they have time for, you know, whether that's two, four, six, eight weeks, you know, and, and get them out of a deficit for a little bit and then, and then go the rest of the way. Um, but ideally when you're going the rest of the way, I would want them to have more weeks to diet than pounds to lose. Um, so that way we can, that way when they hit a plateau, they're not falling behind. So it doesn't turn into a situation where it's like, okay, at the start I have 12 weeks with 12 pounds to lose and, you know, a couple plateaus, turns that into like nine pounds to lose in six weeks or something. And we have to go faster than we want. Um, so the extra weeks, you know, will help with plateaus also gives us time to take a diet break or two in that last push. Um, you know, as long as things are going smoothly enough, uh, hopefully it has them ready early so we can test out some peaking stuff and, and reverse them in. Um, I, I, you know, for example, I have a, a guy competing this weekend and, um, we tested two or three different, he was ready about a month early and we tested about two or three different things out here over the last month. And, and we got a pretty good idea of a peaking approach this week. That's going to work well. And, you know, stress is low. Um, and so all of those are reasons, you know, so that I guess would be the long, long story of what I probably would ideally want to do with someone in an ideal world. Um, and I realize not everyone comes to you in that situation. Not everyone, can work with you for that long, just financially or, or just realistically with their life. Um, but if I had an ideal situation with someone, yeah, I would start off season and, and really be able to set them up to do like the cut before the cut to position them, diet break, go the rest of the way and not have any of that be rushed. Mm. So, so you say you usually get them like 30, 35 over stage at the, at the initial beginning. And what, what would that 
be let's say their stage weight would be are we talking 160 or or, or higher yeah. that, that's that's a that's a theoretical i mean yeah. it, it would depend on the person right you know if someone was 40 45 over we probably need to start that cut before the cut sooner um you know and maybe if there's someone who's 40 45 over maybe there's someone who doesn't feel great closer than 25 30 over so maybe that's where we got to end the cut before the cut um you know or if there's someone um who I, I got a guy in prepping right now who never gets much above 15, 20 over stage weight, feels great, functions well, gets stronger, gets bigger. Um, his case, we just kind of take it in one shot, you know, like mm. I, I don't work with him the off season, but we can just take that prep in one shot, maybe throw a diet break in if we need it. But um, he's close enough. You know what I mean? He's close yeah. enough that you don't need it. I think it just depends on uh, if the person was naturally, is naturally leaner, um, uh, you know, mm not to really buy in too much into the the body types like the somatotypes but some people are just laterally leaner like you know independent Ooh. of their environment for me i wasn't that lean when i was a kid so i wasn't fat though like i wasn't really chubby but i think the body fat that i'm at now is probably the higher end of my the body fat that i naturally would be at so like but i have clients that are literally like you said a couple pounds over stage well like 10 pounds over 15 pounds of stage weight and they're they're feeling fine like perfect and, and for me yeah. i know myself i didn't feel normal until like a good bit after my last show and then also gaining quite a bit of body fat like time and body fat um yep. so so yeah it, it, like you said it's probably it just depends on the person right getting them in what in uh in, in whatever body fat they feel good and uh and making sure that you know you're not push it too far above that so or beyond that so do you, you do you always try and fit in some sort of diet break and is there any particular reason for that is it i suppose it's probably not too much for metabolism because we've seen that it's not making a huge difference seen with that research by, by jack and pios it's, it doesn't really seem to have huge benefits metabol- metabolism wise but may help with like maybe hunger or just psychological impacts and you know, what, what kind of reasons do you personally add them in or for what reason do you think they're beneficial yeah, I would say if you can do a long, I mean, depends on the length of the diet break. Longer diet breaks, I think, have more of an impact, just in practice, more of an impact on metabolic rate and things like that than shorter ones, um, which makes sense, right? Like, you know, one day out of deficit doesn't do much to maybe a little bit, you know, you know what I mean? But longer, longer, maybe you know, more. You know, I can tell you that, like, even with my last prep, when we took a six, eight week diet break and I got my food up to like, I mean, I was up to like, I think 33, 34, 35, something like that, hundred calories a day. And I was holding, you know, somewhere in the low to mid one seventies. When I dropped back into a deficit, I was actually getting away with a little bit more food than I was prior to my diet break for the first while. Um, and so, but that was six, eight weeks and getting my food pretty high. Um, and so I, and I think, so I think there, you know, the longer the diet break, you may see more benefit. Um, it, it definitely isn't going to hurt. Um, but yeah, I, I would say also just from a muscle retention standpoint, if you can have a few weeks where your food's higher, you're going to be able to train harder, have a little more glycogen. Um, that's not a bad thing. Um, so typically it helps a little more fullness. Um, and then yeah, the psychological side of things, I think if you have a long diet, I think that could possibly be the most, the largest benefit is if you have a really long diet, you're someone who has to diet off 35 pounds to get stage lean. If you can take a break in the middle of that for, you know, a month or, you know, whatever, give or take. Um, I, I think that can help you stay consistent when it's like, okay, now we got to push, like we got to push for this home stretch and, you know, it can get rough at the end of prep. I know anyone who's been stagely knows it doesn't feel great. You have to push pretty, you know, oftentimes have to push pretty hard at the end. And, um, you know, if you can have that break in the middle, it kind of helps psychologically kind of go where you need to go. Um, and that doesn't mean I give everyone, a, you know, not everyone has time to diet break. Not everyone needs one. Never, not everyone wants one. Um, and I, I oftentimes will base, I, I'm not someone who goes into a prep with a client and says you're diet breaking, you know, after four weeks or after what I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like I don't schedule them ahead of time. It's more, when do we need it? Um, and, and so, you know, if, if progress is really stalling, if they're really struggling to stay consistent, you know, if we're making adjustment after adjustment, and they're not seeing much in terms of loss, like, let's take a step back diet break for a week or two here and then get back at it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and oftentimes whether that be something with, with, you know, stress, cortisol, water loss or something with metabolic rate or something with adherence, oftentimes, you know, some combination of that often, you know, it can be helpful when they drop back into a deficit to get things moving again. Mm-hmm. 
so so you you probably wouldn't have then a a specific standard length of, of a prep and i guess it depends on the on the on how much body fat they have over or weight yeah. they have over but yeah, w- yeah would you, you say that you wouldn't would you say you'd have a prep that's too long do you try and stay within a certain period where like okay 12 months is a is a bit too long here or do you kind of say let's try and keep it within eight months or something like that and, and be a bit more aggressive because you could you could be so um slow or unassertive that you would be losing you know uh, 0.1 of your body fat or body weight yeah. per week. No, 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 no. I would want to keep body rate of loss probably half a percent to a percent of body weight weekly. And so um, that that will keep prep moving, uh, you know, but it, it's slow enough that, you know, based on the data, you, you don't yeah. see a ton of muscle loss, and especially early on. You can get up closer to a percent or maybe even a little more in those early stages. Um, but at the end, you don't want to be pushing like mm. about one and a half, two percent of body weight weekly. Like that's that's not yeah. where you want to be. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think if someone has a lot to lose, um, so I've worked with clients before who want to do a show where they have maybe 50, 60 pounds to lose, like they have a lot to lose, um, in ideally in that situation, that's where we'd probably break things up and we'd say, all right, let's try to get you 20, 20 like, I don't know if you consider it prep or not. Like, you know what I mean? Like with the diet yeah, breaks in, in there, like where does prep begin and, or not? But, you know, with someone who has like 60 pounds to lose, I wouldn't really put a timeline on like we're competing at this date. It'd be more like, let's get 20 pounds off you here. Then let's take a few months out of a deficit. You know, let's, let's get another 15, 20, you know what I mean? And I, mm-hmm. I would break it up. Um, I, I don't know that I would try to drop like 60 pounds in one shot. Um, Cause that probably would be a year straight in a deficit, you know? And, and uh, I, I don't know, just, just from an adherence standpoint, I can't see that being optimal. Mm. And also from a muscle retention standpoint, I mean, just not having that break from that deficit to be able to get some good hard training in, in there. Mm. Um, so yeah, if, if I could have, if I had someone who had a lot to lose, um, I would try to convince them like, Hey, let's, let's, let's just aim for like getting some weight off here, some steady loss weekly. Let's take a break for a couple months, you know, get you train, you know, make sure you're training hard, you're feeling good. You know, let's, let's make, go for the next stretch and, and so on. Um, rather than saying, yeah, let's diet for 14 months straight or something yeah. for someone who had a lot. To yeah. Lose. Yeah. Un- unless you compete in the, in the IFBB pro leagues, they just seem to lose like 60 pounds in 12 weeks. <laughs> but, well, but... Drugs, drugs can help, uh, you know, make yeah. up for a lot of things and, and help you hold on to muscle. I mean, you know, an enhanced client, I, I mean, if you're enhanced, you actually are a lot of, there are a, a lot of occasions where you know, drug use is going to go up when you're dieting for a show. Like you, you, when you stop dieting, yeah. you know, after your show, drug use oftentimes goes down. And so your drug use ramps up and depending on what you were taking before that, how long you've been using all of that stuff, you can theoretically gain muscle and yeah. lose fat with drugs going into a show. And so you you know, Kevin, Kevin Leroni, right? So then he used yeah, to take, yeah. he used so take you, like six months off and just go on the piss and play drums and stuff <laughs> yeah and so i mean that's a combination of in that case muscle yeah, memory genetics, great yeah. genetics and drugs you yeah. know and yeah. and um you know and hard work and and uh you know and you combine those things and yeah it makes huge transformations mm. yeah um yeah was, as a natural though i i would not be looking to yeah. add muscle and lose fat at the same time when you're yeah. dieting for a show not trying to grow into the show yeah it's not, not a good approach no <laughs> Um, no, that's a good approach for not being lean enough. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so when when setting up the diet, then do, do you have any preferential? Are you a guy that likes higher fats or or higher carbs? Or again, is that really dependent on, on the the client themselves? Do you have any kind of approach that you feel works best for specific clients? Yeah, I'd say it depends on the person, you know. And and a lot of times I try to take what someone's doing and and kind of merge what I'm doing in with it, if that makes sense, you know, rather than trying to overhaul everything and, and maybe over time it starts looking a little bit more like what I would do, you know what I mean? As long yeah, as it's going yeah. well. But, you know, if, if I have someone who's t- taking in like some monster amount of protein, like, um, you know, I think we've, we've all had those clients where they come to you and they're like, yeah, I'm 200 pounds. I'm eating 400 grams of protein a day. Um, obviously I pull that back, but like maybe I only pull that back to like 300 a day or something, you know, or, or you know, 320 or, you know, something where it's getting closer to what I would, you know, it's kind of trying to find that middle ground between what I would ideally do and what they're doing, you know, or, you know, if someone is typically eating really low carb and a lot of fat, 
you know, I might bump their carbs some and pull their fat back some, but it still may be a lower carb, higher fat ratio than I would ideally do. And, you know, if, if we're making progress there um, and, and you oftentimes get a lot better client buy-in if, if you, you know what I mean? You don't just overhaul everything that they're, I mean, they're doing, you know, and you try to merge some of these things with, you know, merge ideas, you know, and um, you know, I, I have a client right now who, uh, you know, I, I a lot of times will have clients who have a, who handle a lot of food, um, do like five low, two high and do like back to back refeeds each week. Um, and, and I have a client right now who had always done like four or five low and one high and just always preferred that. So, you know, we're rolling with we're rolling with that as long as it's going well. And, and um, you know what I mean? Like it, and, and and so it, it I just find that if you can find that middle ground and you get more buy in from clients mm. and, you know, they it's not just so drastically different that you're trying to change everything you're doing. And I think, you know, if you can start making it look a little bit more what you want them to do and, and still look like what they want to do, they're probably more apt to stay consistent. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a more client centered approach, right? So getting them to be a part of the process and uh, making yeah. a decision together rather than you just saying, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> like, and then yeah. you got to follow think, it. So, And I think part of it too is, you know, knowing how advanced a client is and what their background is. Like if I have like a young 17 year old kid who's never really lifted, hasn't lifted long or hasn't really competed before, um, you know, I'll, I'll get feedback from them, but like, you got to take it with a grain of salt, right? Like that I, I you yeah, know, whereas, yeah. whereas like I, if I have someone who, uh, you know, has been competing for, you know, I got a couple people right now who are dieting for like IP worlds who have been competing almost as long as I have, like, and they're, they're they've done well, they're better bodybuilders, better competitors, more successful than I have been, you know, and, and so, um, as a competitor. And so like, I will take their feedback, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean that I might not interject my thoughts in, in there, but, um, I, you know, I, I will definitely put some stock in that feedback because I know that I can trust what they're telling me. Mm. Um, you know, and, and not that you can't trust what you know, the 17 year old newbie is telling you, but like you got to understand where it's coming yeah. from and what their level of experience yeah. is. One's like, like based on experience for themselves and the other is probably just something that he believes or has been told or, or something. Yeah. I, I mean, I was that 17 year old once. So, Oh um, yeah. So are you, I, yeah. I assume unless you skipped 17 yeah, yeah. straight to 18. No, no, I, I, uh, <laughs> So I spent way too much time between 16 and 18 probably trying to diet and stay lean. And I wasn't very big at my first show. I was 145 pounds on stage. And uh, I was told, and I was 18, I had just turned 18. And I was told, hey, you need to get bigger. And so, you know, it was 2004. Like, you know, bodybuilding.com forums were like in their infancy. Like we didn't have all the resources we have today. And so, um, you know, I went on this like, quote unquote, clean bulk, you know, that I think a lot of us did early in our career. I ate only foods I deemed as clean foods and I ate a lot of them and I got up to 210 pounds in a year and a half. So I, I went from 145 to 210 in a year and a half. Um, and it was, it was ugly. Um, it was not pretty. Um, I, I am stronger now, like when I'm like 175, 180 pounds than I was at 210 then. Um, and, uh, you know, and I had a really rough prep after that. I think I dieted off. I got confused at 156 the next time around. So in six months I dropped, Ooh, what is that? 54 pounds. Wow. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's a yeah, so like that, a quarter was, of your body weight. Yeah, that was, that was the roughest prep I ever had that, you know, and again, that was all very early on. That was when I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, I was doing a lot of that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I've been there, you know, I've, I've, mm. I've done it. <laughs> uh, no, no I, I did similar stuff. I would take like different brands of protein, uh, shakes throughout the day. Like, one would be like uh, Optum Nutrition brand because <laughs> I thought it would make a difference. Um, but yeah, we, we did a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, I'm sure I still do stupid stuff that I'll look back in a few years and, and think the same. Um, but yeah, so when, going back to the prep, um, you, you touched on it and maybe it makes sense again that when it comes to refeeds in, in particular, do you add them in for every client or is it really based on what they've done? Or, let, or let's say a client hasn't competed before, how would you how would you implement refeeds or is that something that you do or just diet straight through and only add in, uh, so I'm talking about a refeed, I mean like a single day or double day. Um, yeah, do you only yeah. add them in when you feel that they're, they're stalling or something like that or, or how does that work for you? No, I, 
I'll usually have them in from the start, you know, and, and we may play around with the frequency and the size of them. Um, you know, some people can do back-to-back refeeds and not see a huge spike. Some people, like even if your back-to-back refeeds are, are more moderate, they see a super large spike. But if you just pull that back to one refeed that's a little bit larger, they may not see as much of a weight spike. Um, you know, because if you see too much of a weight spike from your refeeds, you're just going to end up spinning your wheels. Like the rest of the week is losing the weight you gained only yeah. to refeed again and regain that weight. You know, and you just spin your wheels or either that or your food has to go super low on those low days to the point it's detrimental to like performance in the gym and recovery. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, we play around. I definitely play around with refeed frequency with clients. So, you know, I'm thinking about it right now. I have a client who's doing back-to-back refeeds every two weeks. Uh, and I have another, you know, I have clients who are doing one or two refeeds a week. I have a client who's refeeding every fifth or sixth day. Like, um, you know, some of that is based on their pref, you know, like I said, kind of merging our ideas. Mm-hmm. And then some of it's based on like, what's happening here, you know, so we try back-to-back refeeds, you know, how low does your food have to get during the rest of the week for that to actually work and you to lose on average? Are you someone who sees a massive spike from that? Or are you someone who handles more, you know, and, and so a lot of times we'll play around with like, what can we, you know, what can we get away with here? Like, you know, what, what, what's working here? I mean, ultimately they need to keep progressing. Um, and so some, it's kind of this, some of it's preference, some of it's adherence, some of it is what I want to see, some of it's how they're responding um, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily a one size fits all by, by any means. And so, um, again, I think, you know, as long, you know, I, again, some of that incorporating what they like as well, so that, you know what I mean? Into what yeah. I like and what, what, how things are going. Um, I feel like you get a lot better buy-in and a lot better progress. And I think some of that's just adherence and effort as well. And is there anything in particular that you look for with a refeed? Do you try and see, like a, or do you look for a, a drop a day or two later after the refeed or, you know, like you know, yeah. if, if this is success, this is like a quote unquote successful, this refeed is, is working in the way that I wanted to work in terms of getting the weight ticking down or what do you look for when you're assessing whether a refeed is working for someone or it's too high perhaps or too low? Yeah. I, so I probably would look at what's happening with their weekly weight averages. Um, you know, like, because if you refeed and you see a spike, you're going to go up and then you're going to come back down. And, and the hope is that when you come back down, the down is lower than the last time before mm-hmm. you refeed. But, I mean, generally I would look at weekly averages because that's a lot more meaningful than, than any one day. And so, you know, are you – what is your weekly average one week versus the next? What rate of loss do we need to be seeing, um, you know, to, to keep you on track? And are we seeing it? Um, you know, if we are and you're adherent and you're feeling good in the gym and, you know – you're not having to go so low on those low days. You know what I mean? Like to, to see that rate of loss that you're still performing well in the gym adherent. Um, I'm good. You know, if, if, if that's good, if you're seeing loss, but we're, you're like, Hey, like my low days have to get pretty low here. You know, I'm starting to like see that affect my, my sessions in the gym. Maybe in that case, we, we think about reducing the size or the frequency of your refeeds um, to potentially, so that you start seeing that rate of loss while feeling better. Or if we're not seeing that rate of loss, then we need to start pulling things back, whether it be your regular days, your refeeds, what have you. Um, and so I think a lot of it depends on how quick are you losing, how quickly do you need to be losing. Mm. And then I guess when you're assessing uh, weekly losses or a rate of weight loss, do you make sure that someone makes a change or that they're making progress every single week or you is it do you would you make an adjustment if someone didn't drop within that certain period i i spoke with uh brett i can't what's the second name he won the the mid the lightweight worlds he's a client of cliff wilson oh brett freeman yeah brett, yeah i spoke with brett um uh, way back in i don't know maybe december and he said that like every week when he didn't make a make a, a loss in weight it would get like drop of calories or drop of carbs i wonder yeah. what kind of approach you, you take do you do you always make a change if someone doesn't make a loss or do you kind of assess what's going on in their lifestyle and do you, do you, do you, yeah. other factors come into play? Yeah, so I, I think a couple things. So one is anyone I have dieting for a show is updating me twice a week. So I have clients who are dieting for shows. They're emailing me either Monday or Tuesday and then again either Thursday or Friday. So I, we get an early in the week and a later in the week check-in. 
Um, that way, that way I'm taking a look at like a running average, you know, we're assessing twice a week, you know, Hey, is it starting to slow down a little bit? Are we good? You know? And, and, you know, some of those updates are short cause like they're not going to have a crisis every three to four days and some of them are longer and they kind of are what they are. But, um, you know, we, we take a look and we assess every few days. And so I think by doing it that way, you don't always have to make an adjustment. It depends on the person's timeline though too. Right. So, uh, I would look at like, okay, so. If you're someone who, hey, we've had some issues maybe with adherence or maybe it's been a tougher prep than expected and now we need to lose a pound a week and you're only down like 0.4 on average, like that would be someone who we would have to jump the gun. Like we got to adjust right away. Like we don't we don't have time. Um, if you're someone who, hey, I have 13 weeks to go and I got about 10 to 10 ish to lose. You know, you got a couple more weeks to diet than pounds to lose. And it's like, oh, well, you're slowing down. You lost like 0.4 ish. Let's give it a few more days till later in the week. Let's see what happens. Um, or like if it's a female is, Hey, it's a week of your monthly cycle. Let's, let's just, let's just see what happens, you know, where you stabilize out after. And if that ends up lower, um, you know, it, that's where having those extra weeks and time built in is, can be really, really helpful because in that case, you, you don't have to immediately jump and make adjustments. Um, whereas someone who's tighter on time. Yeah. If, if, if we're tight on time and you're not losing, like we don't have time to wait and see, um, you know, and, and sometimes Sometimes that may even be due to a lifestyle factor. Like maybe maybe you got eight pounds to lose eight weeks, or eight pounds to lose in eight weeks, and something lifestyle came up, you know, and affected your weight. So now you have eight pounds to lose in seven weeks. We might not have time to wait and see. Like we might have to like adjust. Like even though it, it might not be needed, you know. And so that's where just having um, time is the most beneficial thing. It is so much easier to slow down a prep when someone's ahead than it is to speed it up. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess then, what like so you just keep that continuous process all the way up until the peak week, or do you have some periods of time where you're trying to assess how do we plan at this peak week? Would you like would you be trialing towards the end of of the prep like different types of refeeds or different amount of carbohydrates to see how they would peak? Yeah, and so this is where time comes in too, right? Because we would need them to be ready early because for two reasons. One, when you start trialing different carb loads and adding more food and trialing uh, larger carb loads, um, you are going to need, uh, you're going you, you, you're going to probably slower stall loss at that point. Like you're, you're giving them more calories. Um, so like I mentioned, the client I was talking about who's competing this weekend, we've done two or three different test loads over the last month. His average weekly weight is roughly the same as it was like three weeks ago because we've been you know what I mean? Adding calories and trialing different loads. He's not gaining anything. So we balanced enough low days in there, but, um, he's not losing anymore. Um, but he was ready early, you know, and that, and that's, that's important, you know, because you, you have the ability then to have time to be able to do some of this. Also, I think it's important that you're not, the leaner you are, the typically the more carbs you're going to need to fill out. Um, cause you're more depleted than going in. Um, and also if you are trying to like plan, all right, how large does my load need to be? And you're doing that when you're like five pounds over stage weight, that's not necessarily going to tell you what it's going to be when you are stage weight. So if you're trying to make state, you know, that load predictable, you're going to want to be ready a few weeks early so that you can trial some of these loads. And, and especially if you want to do something aggressive, um, in order to make peak week more predictable. Uh, and if you don't have time to trial, cause not everybody's ready early, you know, even there have been preps where we've intended to be ready early and the person isn't because of, you know, whatever the show that they need to do or the, the prep was slower. There's some adherence issues some things came up in life, you know, what have you, um, you know, life happens, things happen. Uh, and so in those cases, what we typically would do is look at like over the last like three, four weeks, like how do you look in relation to your refeed and at least get some idea of like, are you better the day after your refeed? Are you better two days after? Do you look like a watery mess for five days after? You know, like, um, and, and at the very least, you can start positioning, a, you know, knowing where to position a higher carb day during peak week. You know, you might not have time to trial some larger loads or some more aggressive strategies, but you can at least get that far, you know, and, and, and have an educated, you know, be, you know, guess at what you should do the final week. And, you know, if you don't know and you don't have time to test, it's always best to be conservative. Um, it's, it's, it's just so much safer, um, you know, and, and then, um, you can always be a little more aggressive the next time if you need to be. Mm. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, I, I think that would be my thought is, is yeah, absolutely. You, you, in an ideal world, ideal prep, they'd be ready three, four weeks early so we could test some of that stuff. And then how do you, um, going into the final week, is the, is peak week always a week? So I know a week is seven days, but do you, is your peak week, does it last for most clients or would you set it, would you set it up as a week and do you make any manipulations? Obviously in carbohydrates, we kind of just talked about yeah. it, but, but other, other variables do you manipulate? Um, I, do you manipulate sodium or water at all? I know that's, it seems like it's, it's quite taboo in natural bodybuilding, but, but then again, I, I do see some coaches that actually get really good results do manipulate it to, yeah. to an extent at least. Yeah. I don't know that I manipulate water really much. I try to keep that fairly consistent for most people and consistently high. Um, sodium, depending if someone's loading really, really hard, I might bump a little more sodium along with the, the carb load, you know, and kind of bring sodium up some with carbs. Uh, but as far as things that change, you know, when it comes to carb loading, you know, some people simply look better if they load earlier in the week and kind of deplete back down later in the week. Um, I, I've worked with a number of people who they look better two days after a high day. So maybe we load Thursday or load Wednesday, Thursday and make Friday a little more conservative. You know, some people may look best after one really large load on like Friday, um, maybe with or without a depletion ahead of time. Um, some people may look better if they load kind of more gradually over multiple days and maybe like Thursday, Friday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Tuesday through Friday, something like that. We gradually work carbs up over the course of the week. Um, you know, people definitely differ in terms of when they look best, um, and the pattern that works best for them. And, and so that, you know, I, I've talked to you know, one of my friends who was getting into coaching was asking me about this. Cause he's like, that's something you can't really science your way through. And I said, no, not really. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know why some people look better two days after a carb load and some one day after it, you know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, and, and all of that, like there's just, is some differences from person to person. Um, but as far as other things that would change, I would say fairly universally, unless someone has more weight to lose, if someone has more weight to lose, ideally we'd be targeting a later show, but if that's not possible, then maybe we have them train hard through most of the week. Um, just trying to get as much fat off as possible. But in a situation where that's not the case, I, I generally start backing training off the final, you know, over the final week, um, especially the later days, so that they're not sore on stage, so we're not causing a bunch of inflammation. Um, oftentimes, I'll back cardio or back off on cardio. I'll back off on, um, you know, even like steps a little bit. Um, but you don't want to go too crazy backing off daily activity the day before your show. Um, you know, one mistake I think a lot of people make is, you know, they'll travel to a show Thursday if they travel a ways to the show. And then they'll like, you know, if there's someone who has a larger load on Friday, they'll load Friday, but then they'll just lay around in their hotel room and wonder why they're looking worse during their load than when they tested it previously. And a lot, a lot of times it's because you're not moving as much. Um, and so not that you want to go crazy moving a ton and burning off all the carbs you're, you're trying to put down and to fill. There we go. Hey, there you are. There we go. Okay, so, and yeah, I don't know where you lost me, but anyway, so yeah, the the day before the show, you know, a lot of people when they're when they're loading, um, you know, they'll they'll lay around their hotel room and load, and and they'll look worse. And so you want to keep moving that day, at least, or you know, not excessively to burn off all those cards. But you want to keep moving just to make sure one that you don't have a significant drop in energy expenditure. To where like, hey, now I spilled on an amount of carbs I should be able to handle because I'm not expending as much energy on this day. Uh, and two, muscle contraction and movement increases insulin sensitivity and helps with glucose uptake. You know, you're, you're very insulin sensitive after a workout. So oftentimes if someone's doing a really, really large load, um, I may even have them do like a light pump workout in the morning, another light pump workout at night. And, and you know, we may still have a step minimum that day that maybe is a little bit less than their norm, but not much. Um, so that they're not burning fewer calories and so that we keep them, you know, insulin sensitive and keep the the load going efficiently so that they're not a watery mess and, and are able to assimilate the, the carbs during the load. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's important to, 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 to minimize stress at least in the last, in the last week. Um, in the last couple of days, I, I noticed before I had a competitor who, who went to the, the Arnold Classic Europe and he was looking great. And then, the last few days they they messed up with the tan and every and the timing and everything they just it was really badly run show and he was just like really super stressed and on stage he just looked like he gained like 
three pounds of fat, which you know at that level, body fat is yeah. is it can take you from first position to, to to second last position. Um, and then for for me personally, I remember uh, the first show I did last competitive season. I live in Ireland, so the weather is just just shite all the time. So it it never gets too warm and it rains a lot. So um, when I went to California, it, it wasn't my first time there, but it's the first time there in a couple of years, and the weather is just as you know if you've been there it's just great yeah. in, in july so i went to venice yeah. beach and stuff and i went like five days before my show and uh i was competing in sacramento so i did a road trip and i was just like really relaxing like nothing yeah. stressed me out and man i looked so sharp like after a couple of days it didn't really drop much weight yeah. but like it just looked like tightened up all the water weight just completely dropped from just de-stressing and just relaxing um and that was like so important to you know to making me uh, you know come in really good on stage um and then i think the opposite happened when later shows when i was like like i mentioned with my client it's like super stressed just didn't really want to be there just like logistics were kind of messed up and then just on stage just didn't really look right even though body weight wasn't that much different um so so yeah and and like you mentioned as well it's important not to change too much with your clients as well i remember another client that really really wanted to train before the, the day before and not reduce it because he'd always done it so i didn't want to even though physiologically that may affect him by training yeah. i didn't want to take it out where he's stressed then because he's not training because it could have yeah. the opposite effect um yeah but 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 then do you do anything with with sodium on show day or the day before do you um, i know it probably depends again on the amount of carbs that someone's having but do, do you yeah. have them have a higher sodium day before the show or the day of the show Often, oftentimes morning of the show, I'll give them a shot of sodium, especially as they start pumping, you know, get a good shot of sodium there. Mm. Um, that, that oftentimes helps bring out vascularity, helps get a better pump. Um, you know, I, I definitely, I, I don't bring it down necessarily. Um, probably up maybe slightly depends on the load and the client. But one thing I was going to say with, with the stress and everything as well is oftentimes I, if possible, I always try to encourage clients to travel to a show on Thursday. Um, if it's a Saturday show, you know, don't travel on Friday because mm. if you travel on Friday, you run into traffic issues, you get there late, you run into your drug test, you got to get tanned. Like it, it just turns into a stressful rushed process. Um, but if you can get there Thursday and, and even better yet, if you can stay at a place that's not the host hotel so that you can just get away. Like I, I never stay at the host hotel when I'm competing. Like I stay somewhere else. I go find an Airbnb nearby, another, another hotel mm. nearby, whatever. Um, if I can just get my own space. It's away from the contest. It isn't all about the contest Friday. You know, I can watch a movie. I can take a nap. I can, you know what I mean? I'll still have to move. I'll still have to pump. I'll still have to tan. I'll still have to check in. So there's things you got to do. Um, but like, if you can just make it relaxed, you know, go for a relaxing walk outside. What, you know, I, I watched a movie before a couple of my shows on, on the Friday during the day. Like it, it was not, you know what I mean? Like it was, um, I, I just, was able to relax and kind of get away and, and have kind of a day for me. And it was, um, yeah, I mean, it helps a ton versus just being super stressed going in. Mm, yeah, for sure. Uh, I was just thinking when you mentioned that, um, the last polygraph or, uh, test I did, um, in my last show was really stressful. The guy was just super, I think he was like an ex cop and, uh, he was like, yeah, just, a lot of them are. he was like super hard as if like a, it's as if you're guilty and you have to prove your innocence. And I was just yeah. like, that actually could affect my, how I looked on stage. That That's my excuse anyway. And that's why I didn't win. But, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, Peter, it's been great chatting to you. Um, yeah, thanks so much for your insights. Where can people find more about you and, and what are you up to? Um, you know, over the, over the next couple of months, is there anything interesting? Are you bringing out any more books or, or anything else? No, no, no more books or anything like that. I think the biggest thing over the next couple of months is just trying to transition back to like normal life because I, my prep got extended so long. So just getting back to finding more balance. And then I have quite a few clients uh, targeting shows here. I got a couple competing in August and then like September, October, I have a lot of clients targeting shows. Um, and at, at this point, there's still a lot of shows scheduled in the U.S. because so many got pushed back this year um, for, for September, October. So I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling to client shows, assuming they, that everything still happens. Um, and, and a lot of it here depends on the restrictions in certain States versus certain cities versus, so there, there are parts of the country where things are happening more than others, depending on like political, you know, whatever, you know, law stuff. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, so I mean, that's the biggest thing, I think, just finding balance. There, there's some projects around my house I'd like to catch up on, you know, thing, things like that that got pushed to the wayside during prep um, and finding more balance. Yeah. And then, yeah, worrying about my clients who are competing this fall. Um, I got my shows out of the way right away as soon as I started again. So now I can focus on my clients and, and my stuff's done, um, which was my intention back in the spring. And it, it just kind of happened now in the summer. Um, but yeah, I've had, I think four clients compete already this year and I got another one this weekend. So there'll be five and, you know, just since the end of June. So I, I definitely have having clients step on stage. Um, other than that, you know, you know, no books or anything like that. Um, hopefully once things get back to a little bit more normalcy, I can, I'd start doing some more talks again, maybe next year. Um, I think last year I traveled for half a dozen talks or more seminars and things. Um, and, and I've had some talks with people even internationally about doing it, but, the world needs to get more normal before I can do some of that again. Um, but as far as where people can find me, um, I'm on Instagram at fitbodyphysique. Uh, I'm on Facebook as my, just as myself. Um, they can email me at fitbodyphysique at gmail.com. They can pick up my book on Amazon. It's called Bodybuilding, the Complete Contest Preparation Handbook. Um, I co-authored with Cliff Wilson. It's got uh, S- Sam Okinola on the front, right? Yes, it's got Sam Okinola on the front and then one of Cliff's IFBB Bikini Pro clients also. Um, yes. And then on the back, I think it's what Doug Miller figure, Miss Olympia. Um, yeah, several, I think Valentine Azuga is on the back. There's there's several people on on it, but yeah. And in it. Um, so yeah, we got, we getting those pictures was a lot of work, but they, for it to be high enough resolution to be big enough and and to be stage shots of them alone and, and get all the legal rights and stuff. But, um, I, yeah, I think we're both really happy with how it all came together. Great. Awesome, man. Well, well, thanks once again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast with myself and Peter Fission. If you want to find out more about Peter, I've left all his social media links and his website, etc. in the show notes. But I think if you search Fit Body Physique, you'll find pretty much everything related to him. And if you want to find more about me or follow me, you can get me on Instagram at adammac192. And I always do appreciate when people leave me feedback, whether that's positive or negative. I always want to try and improve the podcast. And if you are still listening and are interested in learning more about natural bodybuilding and how to prepare for a natural bodybuilding show, or simply just want to get to very lean levels of body fat, you can go to my website, healthmastery.co, and sign up for the free seven-day natural bodybuilding fast track course where I give you a lesson every single day, which is like 15, 20 minutes on various topics related to natural bodybuilding. Some of them we even spoke about today. But I thank you for listening and I will join you again in a future conversation when we have on more great guests like Peter.